0: NFL Draft, at least the Buckeye Talk version, as Doug Maurice and Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, we are going to do a mock draft. We're going to put ourselves on the clock and we are going to shout out when we think the Ohio State players available in the 2022 NFL Draft should be selected. We're giving this to you eight days before the draft starts. Next Thursday, the 28th, Ohio State looking at a couple first rounders, probably some day two guys. We don't give it away. Give away the draft strategy here, but I like doing this. You know, we all have to come up with. Okay, I would take this guy here, but then I think Stephen, when you put us on the clock, right? It's like you. Hey, makes you a little uh, jacks up the stakes a little bit. It's not just saying Stephen, where would you pick somebody, Nathan? It's it's we're on the clock, and you've got, if you want your guy, you've got to get him before the other two of us.
1: Yeah, it's like a competitive thing almost. Yeah, you feel like you're in the war room.
0: Cause I do think it can make you go crazy, but this is what happened in the actual draft. It's like, I like this guy. Okay. Whatever. And it's like, well, I really want him. And I don't just, it's not just about where you think he should be slotted. It's like, you want to get him and how far are you willing to go to get him? Um, Nathan, I know we did this last year. I know last year, I only remember things that I do. I had the bears trading up to get Justin Fields. When we did this, I had them trading up higher than they actually did, but that, we're allowed, if you want to do a trade-up for somebody, go ahead and do that. But it's every now and then, you, you, you know, you hit on one of these. I think one year I had Billy Price in the first round of the Bengals, and that worked. And I also think one year I had, like, Cardale Jones going ninth in the draft winner. So, I mean, you know, you win some, you lose some. But, right? I mean, you know, we're, we're trying to be GMs here and evaluate these Ohio State guys.
2: I. I'm trying to remember from last year because there were some that we were like very, very close to, and then some that we were wildly off on. So Fuck, especially God, as God. it gets, especially as it gets later in the draft, I feel like you get guys who we think, well, that guy's clearly got to be at least fifth round, right? And then he tumbles, or uh, that's actually more likely. I think it's more likely that we overdraft guys from Ohio State in those like fourth, fifth, sixth rounds.
0: I think that is has been proven out and is correct. And off it's like, well, you know, maybe this guy will go in the 150s, but I'll take him at 96, right? Because I just think, you know, so I think it is natural when you try, because we don't know anybody else. And that's the thing, too. It's like, oh well, I like this guy. And it's like, no, there's actually this guy from eastern Michigan at the same position who's going to go ahead of that Ohio State guy. And we don't know that guy. So we'll run through the seven guys who were invited to the combine, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave. Nicholas Petit-Frayer, Jeremy Ruckert, Tyreek Smith, Thayer Munford, Haskell Garrett, and then we'll add anybody else if we want to. I just want to add this, we're recording this Tuesday afternoon. I was at a thing Tuesday morning, an academic thing that my daughters were at where um, all the students had to do this project, this year long project. It's a thing that has an impact globally and then you have to do something in your community and talk about the impact locally and what you can do to try to make a difference. And you go around and different kids to give different presentations. So I heard multiple presentations from different kids around central Ohio. And I heard multiple kids. It was like, what is the thing that you did on this topic to make an impact locally? And they were like, I did a podcast. (laughs) And I was (laughs) like, either yes, podcasts are taking over the world or, oh, my God, we're doomed. Because I was like, listen, man. I do podcasts and let me tell you, no impact. Do not, this is not how you change. What'd you do? Eh? you know, got a microphone, talked about it, changed the world. So, um, podcasts, man, hmm, quite popular. Hope you guys listen to a bunch of them. All right, let's start with Garrett. I will run through, not slowly, not quickly, in a reasonable manner, teams. I'll say them to the pick. And when you want your guy, you shout it out. Garrett Wilson, I will tell you as a, well, I'll tell you as a point of reference after the fact, we have this mock draft consensus database, which is kind of like a, a nice thing. I, I don't know how this person does it, but like they just gather every mock draft in the world and they throw them in and they create like a consensus big board and a consensus mock draft. So I referenced that consensus big board a decent part of the time. Uh, our, our own Tim Bielek, former Buckeye talker, Tim Bielek, who is still at cleveland.com and is sort of like our draft guy. He does mock drafts. Um, His gets thrown in the mix right in there with Daniel Jeremiah and Dane Brugler and Mel Kuiper and everybody else. So it's a nice little way to, you know, get a read on things. So here we go. We will start with the number one pick in the draft, just in case anybody thinks the Jag should take Garrett Wilson number one. Probably not, but I want to give that opportunity. Here we go. Number one, Jacksonville. Number two, Detroit. Number three, Houston. Number four, New York Jets. And I'm taking him. And this is crazy, but I have thought long and hard about this, and I'm not doing this just to, like, get the jump on Steven. The mock draft consensus database has Garrett Wilson eighth. The eighth pick is Atlanta. Here's what I'm thinking. This is I, I honestly have actually like tried to really think about this. I do think Garrett Wilson will be the first receiver taken. The Jets have two first-round picks. They have a pick at four, and they have a pick at 10. There's a draft guy that I met back at the Senior Bowl back in the day when I was there covering Troy Smith in 2006. He's been around forever. He works for Pro Football Network now. He's Tony Pauline. He's, I think, from New York. He's a little tapped in on the Jets. He's been writing a lot about how the Jets like Garrett Wilson – And I think if you look at a lot of Jets mock drafts, they have them taking a defensive guy and an offensive guy at four and 10. They have a young quarterback in Zach Wilson that they took second last year. He needs weapons. They don't have anybody. They don't have a number one receiver there. So I think Aiden Hutchinson and Trayvon Walker are both going to go in the top three picks. I don't think either of them will be available to the Jets at four. And I think if you want to go receiver and defense, if you're the Jets, And Tony Pauline has reported the Jets like Garrett Wilson, but they're not sure he'll get to 10. I think there is a depth of talent on the defensive side of the ball in this draft that if you like Garrett Wilson, and this is not what a lot of most mock drafts are not doing this with the Jets. But if you like him, I think they might be slow playing it. And you'll find a lot of mock drafts where they take a defender at four and then Drake London or Jamison Williams or somebody at 10. I say take Garrett Wilson at four and then take the best defensive guy available at 10. It might be Sauce Gardner. It might be Derek Stingley Jr. It might be uh, Kyle Hamilton. Kayvon Thibodeau has been linked to the Jets at four a decent amount of the time. There's a little bit of stuff with Kayvon Thibodeau where he's, hit the perception of him, at least the way it's been reported, maybe he'll fall a little bit. I don't think it's impossible for Kayvon Thibodeau to fall to 10, but if you're the Jets and you love Garrett Wilson, why wait? Because you have a young quarterback that you want to find out about. So what's the imperative for the Jets? Get him a number one receiver. Don't, don't be like, well, let's take an edge guy. Let's take the third best edge guy. Ah, let's take a corner. Either Stingley or Gardner will be there at 10. Or if not Hamilton, you'll help your secondary. I just think that this makes sense. It's not what people are talking about, but I like him to the Jets for fit. It seems like new, there's New York interest, and this is a draft, man. I did want to jump Stephen Means a little bit, but I'm not, that's not why I'm doing it, Stephen. I really tried to think about it. I think this makes more sense for the Jets because there's going to be a couple offensive tackles that go between 4 and 10. It's not going to be a run on defenders. It's not going to be all defenders. They'll get a good defender to help their defense at 10. Take Garrett Wilson at 4.
1: It makes sense. I'm just not – that's not where I was headed. And some of this is because I'm a Falcons fan. But um, more important, I just think they're going to take Sauce Gardner with that fourth pick. I think the Jets like him or or Drake London, and they're just going to let the Falcons pick which one they pick. Because it's, it, it, it at this point, if you followed any draft coverage, it's pretty clear, especially with Jamison Williams uh, being hurt. It's tears. It's like Garrett and Drake in a tear fighting to be the first receiver taken off the board. And then there's like the Chris Olave uh, – Going down the list to, to that second tier of guys, you're going to go anywhere from 15 to 32 at this point. So I think the Jets will be fine with either. So they just take the defensive guy early and then, you know, whichever you know, fa- receiver the Falcons take, they're going to take the other guy, which is why I had Garrett Wilson at eight, but also because the Falcons are going to take a receiver this year and then be in the Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, tweet states next year.
0: Nathan, what were you thinking for Garrett?
2: I have him also going to the Jets, but at number 10 because I am not convinced of a couple of things. Number one, I think everything you said actually does make sense. It would be interesting. I, what what you've said would be a completely plausible way for a, a, a GM a front office person to be thinking about on draft day. Um, I don't know if I agree with the idea that maybe Garrett separates from the receiver group, the way some of these defenders separated their position and kind of along the lines of the way, maybe Steven is talking about teams seeing this and I know that the very, very popular pick is Wilson to Atlanta at eight. I think it's possible someone takes him at eight. I don't know if it's the Falcons. I could see them trading off of that pick because they have so many problems that if they were to get somebody defensively at eight or if they were to trade back, they could pick up another pick and still get a really good receiver. They could get whichever of London and depending on how far back they fall. London or Wilson that's still on the board or Jamison Williams or farther back and get yourself uh, someone like Chris Olave. I mean, you're still coming out ahead because you're getting a really good receiver and you're adding your something else because that's a team that I think just needs a lot. But I think I have, you know, I've seen the the jets link to Wilson also, and I think he's a top 10 pick. I don't see him getting out of the top 10. Somebody is going to make the move to get him in the top 10. I'm just going to say that it's the jets, the way things shaking out, uh, with with so many other guys who are maybe individually separated their position a little bit, and some some teams that do have real positional needs at like offensive tackle and stuff, and the ones who need quarterbacks, I know that Kenny Pickett is the one that everyone's saying is going to be the only quarterback that goes very high. I'm not sure. I believe that. I think this teams there's always somebody who overdrafts a quarterback, so I, I still think Garrett Wilson going at ten is uh, is uh, in keeping with his where his status should be in a draft like this.
0: So I know that might sound high for a receiver and it's pretty high. Jamar Chase last year went five. Jalen Waddle went six. That was the highest that a receiver had gone in a while. There had been multiple drafts before then when the first receiver didn't go until the teens, 2017, Corey Davis went five. Mike Williams went seven. John Ross went nine. Only one of those really hit. Um, 2015 Amari Cooper went four, which I don't think is a, they're not the exact same kind of player. I don't think that's a terrible comparison for Garrett Wilson, though. 2014, Sammy Watkins went four. Mike Evans went seven. Mike Evans really worked out. Sammy Watkins, not quite as much. Um, I just think and 2012, Justin Blackman went five. I, I think the way that we've seen the uh, receiver free agent market blow up, receivers are getting paid. If you want a great one, you're either going to have to pay for one or you're going to have to draft one. And it's Stephen, it's hard for me always in the draft. And I understand that the best draft strategy is accumulating picks. It's an inexact science. The more dart throws you have, the better off you'll be. So if you're going to accumulate picks and move down, then that's going to require guys falling to you. We'll take somebody who's there. I like accumulating picks in theory, but in practice, I like getting your guy. So the thing that I'm unsure about is if Trayvon Walker's not there, if Hutchinson and Trayvon Walker are both gone, they're the two best edge guys. I just don't know, like if you really, if Garrett's your number one receiver, why let the Falcons pick the receiver and you take the next one rather than say, we'll take Garrett and then we'll take the defensive guy. What is it about Sauce Gardner or Kyle Hamilton or Kayvon Thibodeau that is, makes it more of an imperative than Garrett Wilson? Right. Because it's like, oh, it's like if you get Kayvon Thibodeau or if you don't get sauce Gardner, it's like, well, that's it. We're doomed. I would just be like, okay, then I'll I've seen some draft. People say there are a couple of teams that have Derek Stingley Jr. higher than sauce, Mm -hmm. that there's two top corners. I don't think they'll both be gone at 10. And if they are, you take the best safety prospect in a while. Kyle Hamilton, like that's why I'm here with Garrett, that if you're taking somebody at four, you're saying we're taking our guy. And given the way that the receiver position is evolving, I'm not sure why you wouldn't say we're going to do that at receiver instead of doing it on defense, because we're going to get a really good defensive player at 10, no matter what.
1: Well, well, what separates more is if if you're fine with Garrett or Drake London being your guy at wide receiver, then you can wait. That's really the mindset there. While like with – Sauce Gardner is not I don't think Sauce Ahmad Gardner is not going to be there at 10 Derek Stingley might be there at 10 just because I mean he didn't play football last year and he's coming off some injuries and there's still some questions there and we'll see with Kai Hamilton but Ahmaud Gardner is not going to be there at 10 you know for a fact that either Garrett Wilson or Drake London is going to be there at 10 just given you know the, the teams who are picking before you and what's going to happen there so if it's not if you have two guys where if you go into the war room that night and you go you come up to that fourth pick and you go who do we like better, Garrett Wilson or Drake London? You go, either one is fine with me. Then you just go defensive guy, and you know you're still going to get the other guy, as there, long as uh, now obviously there's always that chance that somebody trades up for the other the guy that you didn't for, um, for both for the other guy. So now Garrett and Drake are both gone, but more than likely that's probably not going to happen.
0: There, there's so there's such different receivers that that's part of it is Wilson yeah. and London. I think are. Uh, consensus top two receivers, but they could not be more different. Mm -hmm. Just that that Zach Wilson is kind of a little make a play guy, not a big pocket passer, throw it up and let a guy go get it guy. I just think in my head that Garrett Wilson pairs a little better with Zach Wilson than Drake London does. That might be wrong. I like Drake London. Also, I was doing a lot of, you know, receiver thinking when the Browns before the Browns traded for Deshaun Watson and lost their pick at 13, because this was the conversation I was trying to get Garrett Wilson to the Browns at 13. And now here I am taking him at four. So, Nathan, like, I, I agree with the idea that they're both very good receivers, but they're so different stylistically. I would imagine any team, knowing the offense they want to run, the kind of quarterback they have, has a preference of London and Wilson, because it's not, I don't think it can be 50 50 because it's like, well, it's like, do you want Joel Embiid or do you want? um Russell Westbrook. It's like they're both great players, but they're really different. So you probably have something that fits you a little better.
2: I think you're right. And I didn't break down every roster and every receiver room in the NFL to see which one I thought necessarily matched up better. I want to go back to something you were saying though. I understand the point you're trying to make about this emerging receiver market. You know who else costs a lot of money? Denzel Ward. Marshawn Lattimore, like cornerbacks are uh, a pretty penny. And and I think the same logic applies with what you're saying. So I, I think you're right. I think what you're saying could work out for the Jets, but I could also see them seeing the exact scenario you're laying out, but the 180 degrees version of it, the mirror image of it, that that's why you take sauce Gardner there. And then you get still a really good receiver at 10.
0: So that's, it might be this choice. So you guys vote. Would you rather have, if you were the Jets, would you rather have Sauce Gardner and Drake London or Garrett Wilson and Derek Stingley Jr.? Because that might be how you have to think about it. Mm. And Derek Stingley Jr. like was hurt, right? Like was yeah. kind of didn't get to show. He, coming into last year, was the best cornerback prospect in the country. Um, I think you might be buying a little bit low on him I love sauce. Who doesn't love sauce? He gets after it. But and I like Drake London. Both are good. Both make the Jets much better. I would take Wilson and Stingley.
1: I think Stingley's better than Ahmad, but the caveat is when he's healthy and he hasn't been healthy since 2019. And when Which you're throwing around yeah, and when you're throwing around millions of dollars, if that's the the tiebreaker, then I'd rather have Gardner in London.
2: This is where our our, our bias – and by bias, I mean not that we are in favor of Garrett Wilson or at least two-thirds of us aren't, but that we have just seen him so much and we cover him is where it maybe comes into play. I don't really know – part of my thinking is I don't really know if, if Garrett Wilson is a better receiver than Drake London. I, I don't. I, yeah. I, think I think you're getting a really strong receiver either way. I think you're probably getting a strong receiver with Chris Olave. or it's why I'm seeing like those teams that are drafting like that seven, eight, nine, may, maybe even a little bit higher. Like if there's somebody that wants to overpay to get up there and get an edge rusher that you don't need, whatever, like you can trade back and still get a really good receiver down into the middle of that first round, like a really good, like that's where I assume we're going to probably end up taking Chris Olave here in a minute. So that's, Kind of what I'm basing this on, too, is I, I you don't have to reach to get a really good receiver in this draft.
1: Yeah, but there's still a difference between, you know, what Jamar Chase is and then like what your number two receiver is. That's still like.
0: And, and you you guys are are much closer I don't know to what that team. means. Well, just that Jamar Chase was the best receiver in the draft. Like if you're getting the best. Rec- Listen. It's right, one but of those I things. If you if you think, well, we'll just wait on a receiver and get him in the middle, that applies to every position. Wait on a guard, wait on a corner. Wait, like are right. you getting do, do you want a premium guy?
2: That doesn't, well, first of all, that doesn't always apply to every position. And this draft particularly is pretty strong on receivers. It might not be pretty strong on every single position. And number two, I think there we also have to remember there's a difference between that guy is the best at his position in this draft, and that guy is in a vacuum, clearly worthy of a top 10 pick, a top five pick. That's two different conversations too. And I don't know that I, I hear the second thing about Garrett Wilson a lot. The, f- or the first thing about Garrett Wilson, a lot. the second thing as to whether he's like, oh, this guy is clearly like, you can't not take him in the first five or 10 picks. I, I don't hear that as much.
0: So the consensus mock draft big board is Aiden Hutchinson, one, Kayvon Thibodeau, two, Evan Neal, the offensive tackle from Alabama, three, Aikam Akwonu, the offensive tackle from NC State, four. I apologize for that pronunciation. Trayvon Walker, the edge from Georgia, five. Sauce Gardner, six. Kyle Hamilton, the Notre Dame safety, seven. Then Garrett Wilson. Stingley is 10. And Drake London is 13. So, again, you guys are – no one's picking Garrett Wilson, four, to the Jets. I just think you, you have to get an elite talent at a premium position if you're picking that high. And the premium positions in the NFL are quarterback, edge rusher, Offensive tackle, cornerback. And I think traditionally, like, those have been the four. But I think what we're seeing with the money that receivers are getting, with the continued emphasis on the passing game and how much a number one receiver does for your quarterback, I do think receiver qualifies as that now. Maybe he didn't three years ago. But to me, those are the five premium positions And in my opinion, Garrett Wilson, that seems like, again, people are reporting there are plenty of teams that have Garrett Wilson as the number one receiver in the draft. If you're getting the number one guy at a premium position for a young quarterback that you have to give weapons to, to figure out, I think a lot fits. And by the way, Garrett in New York, Stephen, oh, mama. You think Jets fans will like Garrett Wilson?
1: Yes.
2: So I I think Jets or Giants. And I I think um, to go back – on some devil's advocate of something else I said about the Falcons and how I think it would make a lot of sense for them to, to think about turning that pick into more picks. I think they're also already playing for next year and yeah. drafting him. They know they're going to stink this year. You draft him mm-hmm. and match whatever quarterback they're throwing back there this year. And then next year Ridley comes back and you're drafting a franchise quarterback quarterback. Now yes. you're looking at no, something. So, no,
1: I agree. That's exactly think- why they gave Mariota th- two years. It's like at worst, CJ or Bryce has to sit for a year behind Mariota and then you kick him up out of there.
0: But if you're the Jets, why would you let that happen? That's the thing that I'm asking. I'm not disputing the Falcons and Garrett Wilson is a great fit and very likely might be the pick. It is a thing that a million people are projecting. I'm asking if you're the Jets and you think you want a receiver and you have a pick ahead of the Falcons, why would you let that happen? Why would you let the Falcons take that guy? Because you love Sauce Gardner so much. But, like you but, can't live without Sauce, but you can live without Garrett if he's your number one. That's all I'm asking.
2: Well, I mean, you, you have to make choices. I just I, we don't know that they like Garrett Wilson that much more than everybody else.
0: But what? But we don't know that they like Garrett that we don't they don't like Sauce as yeah, no, that much better than we Steve. Don't. like I just well, I'm talking about the position most of all. Like if you're the Jets and you're absolutely going to take a receiver at 10 and you know the Falcons are going to take a receiver at 8, why would you take your receiver at 4 and get a premium defender for sure at 10? That's that's my main thing. Here. And I nobody guess, else I mean is saying same,
2: that. The opposite logic applies.
0: But who is, who's the premium guy that you would take for the Jets at 4? Sauce? Yeah. Yeah. And this- Sauce is – more elevated among above the pack than Garrett is
2: uh I yeah I think maybe he is I don't think there's like five or six receivers or five or six corners that people are talking about the same way they're talking about the top five or six receivers in this draft
1: it's not even that it's just Stingley's been hurt the last 2 he's got an injury history that's the separator for me okay
0: all right so I would take Garrett at four Steven you take him at eight to Atlanta Nathan you have him at 10 to the Jets so let's move on to the second receiver discussion, and we'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Nathan-Steven, back with our little mock draft here. There's this, uh, this guy, his Twitter handle is at @mathbomb, B-O-M-B. He has this thing he invented called the Relative Athletic Score, R-A-S, where he just takes all the numbers from the combine and the pro day and what guys have done traditionally at those positions, and he throws them into his database, and the number pops up, a scale of 1 to 10. 10 is perfect, one is terrible. It's an overall athletic score, relative athletic score. So it's based on what guys do at your position. So, you know, there are guys in this draft who are nine, nine nine point eight, nine point nine. 9.8, 9.9. Garrett was a 7.7, which is good, but not great. Uh, Chris Olave is an 8.6, which is better than 7.7. So I will just reference some of those. He's really smart. It's just that he invented this way to look at things, the things we all look at. He crunched it. I like the crunch. I like crunchy peanut butter. So he is also going through, though, and has lately been doing, like, here's what the relative athletic score was for guys in previous drafts. And it's like Cam Chancellor, all pro safety, led the Legion of Boom. His relative athletic score was 5.3. So it's not perfect. It's not perfect. But it is a relative – to, and it's to, compared to everybody at your position for the past ten years. So let's move on to Chris Olave, who has a slightly higher RAS. Let's. Does anyone have? Well, I guess what the lowest we have Garrett Wilson going is ten. Does anybody think that Chris Olave is going to go in the top ten? No. Nathan,
2: I I don't. I don't dismiss the op- the chance that it could happen, but I, I don't have him going.
0: You are top. not picking him there. So we can no. start at 11 with our little draft uh, situation here. That's okay with everybody? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because a, a, the team at 11 does feel like a team that a lot of people think is going to take a receiver. And I'm curious, if a run, the thing about taking Garrett at four, Garrett at four starts a run on receivers. And then everybody jumps up. Because then Atlanta at eight, Takes the second receiver instead of the first receiver, and we're off to the races. If Garrett goes four, everybody's making a little more money. So, Chris Olave, root for Garrett to go four. All right. Number 11, Washington Commanders. Number 12, Minnesota Vikings. Number 13, Houston Texans. Number 14, Baltimore Ravens. Number 15, Philadelphia Eagles. Ding. Me too. Go ahead, Steven. Why are you taking Olave here?
1: Um, I'm going to use the logic you use with Zach Wilson, but it's a little bit more extreme because Jalen Hurts already has a weapon. It's clear that the Eagles are going to give him one more year to figure out if he's their long term guy or not. And he's already got Devontae Smith as their number one guy. And if you pair him with Chris Olave as your number two deep threat, I mean, there's no excuses for why Jalen Hurts shouldn't make a a jump this year as in production. So that's it's like, all right, you've got the weapons. Show us something.
0: I also think the Eagles, with the trade they made with New Orleans, the Eagles are pos- potentially positioning themselves in next year's draft to have capital to trade up and get a quarterback. So yes. they are thinking about their passing game. Devontae Smith actually is a guy I think that we have compared to Chris, o- Chris Olave too at times, kind of like a fluid, smooth, fast, but like just like dude who can go deep and do everything else. Um, that would be a really interesting pairing. I also have him here, the Eagles – um, still have two picks really high. They are picking at 15 and 18. So this is the first of the Eagles picks. The Saints have a pick at 16, and the Saints also have a pick at 19. So the Eagles and the Saints are dancing around each other, and they are both popular landing spots for Chris Olave. Where'd you have him, Nathan?
2: So I had him at 16. Uh, with the saints. So here, I guess why I didn't pick them to the Eagles and I almost did. And I was, I was thinking about it for a long time. I read something um, the Eagles ranked second to last in the NFL and sack rate last year. And when you've already got some offensive weapons, I feel like they're in a position maybe where they can, because they're drafting again at 18, you don't I mean Lave could maybe still even be there at 18. Mm-hmm. So I w- could see them leaning defense there. But then uh, I know that Sean Payton is no longer in New Orleans, but, I mean, this place has been Buckeye Central. Um, well, I guess Columbus has been Buckeye Central, but, like, <laughs> the, the second... The second second, Yeah, it's OSU South the last few years. And they have a real need at receiver also. Uh, I just... I, that seems like just a really smart place for someone like him to go. Um, and that quarterback situation also is interesting it's like what is it like Andy Dalton's there Jameis Winston is still there Ian Book is still there um so it's not gonna be Ian Book it's not gonna be Ian Book yeah but I'm just (laughs) saying like they've that's the stack yeah it's gonna be Jameis they're looking at Jameis for this year yeah but that and he's clearly not necessarily a long-term answer there I would argue so I, I they got but but that's what they have for this year they've got to go get more offensive weapons And this just seems to be a smart place for him. Although, as I was saying before, like when you read off numbers like that, when you look at his combine performance, the fact that he, you know, I I think dispelled some notions of maybe his size and things like that. Like I could see someone higher than this, taking him, someone maybe even trading up ahead of the, because they, people, if you really love Chris Olave and you're 20 or below, because there's some teams that are picking like the Packers, I think pick like twice like in in the twenties and somebody else does too. Um, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, um, but I know the Packers the do or they did. Yeah. They, I mean, like if you're somebody like that, uh, the chiefs are really interesting now because of some of the things that happened with them. Like, could you trade up ahead of this glut? Cause you know that he's probably not getting past the Eagles and the saints in this cluster of five picks.
0: Washington is also really interesting for him mm-hmm. because Terry McLaurin is also a version of Chris Olave. And Terry McLaurin's going to get paid. Terry McLaurin lasted until the third round. I feel like Chris Olave is like the next evolution of Terry McLaurin. Um, it could be an interesting pairing. And I mean, they have all the intel they need on Chase Young's obviously also there. They have all the intel they need on Chris Olave. And I'm sure Terry and Terry McLaurin is like the best dude you'd ever want to have on your team. And so whatever Terry McLaurin's telling them, like they probably listening to Terry McLaurin. So that's interesting to me. The thing that I think is the real issue here, I will be surprised. I think most people, it's like one of these things. I, it's what other people are reporting and we all read the same stuff. It seems like Wilson and London will be the first two receivers. Right? I mean, that's sort of the discussion we had. Mm-hmm. Then, Stephen, the question is who's third? And it feels like Traylon Burks from Arkansas has come back a little bit. So it does feel like that discussion comes down to Jamison Williams and Chris Olave. And when you thought about this, Stephen, and you're trying to figure out where to slot Olave, were you thinking, well, there's going to be another receiver needy team that's going to take Jamison Williams ahead of Olave? Or do you think Olave will be the third receiver off the board?
1: I think he'll be the third wide receiver off the board. Um, I agree that Burks is kind of sliding back down to the you know, the median here after all that hype, but I think it's because Christian Watson is starting to get all out of that hype. Yep. So that's an intriguing thing, but I just think that between the saints and the Eagles, one of them is going to get Chris. One of them is going to get Jamo. And I think the Eagles need to find out what they, the Eagles need to find out about Jalen hurts now while the saints are kind of like in rebuild mode. Like so they could like draft Jamison Williams and then wait for him to get healthy while like the eagles need to find out some things and so they need a guy who's ready to go week 1.
2: I do think if the draft plays out the way you were kind of thinking Doug as where the jets take a receiver at 4 and then that triggers somebody else to take a receiver maybe sooner than they were expecting or you know now the second one's off the board in the top 10, that's where I really think Alave or I guess Jameson Williams at 11 to Washington maybe
1: comes into play. Yeah, I, I think I, that I, a, a I 11 pick becomes I don't even know if they'll keep it. If, if that happens, I think that 11 pick becomes kind of valuable. And I think Washington might know that.
0: Like, if, I, if, if my thing, which again is a wild hair, a world where it's like Garrett to the Jets at four, Jamison Williams to the Falcons at eight, and Chris to Washington at 11 is maybe where I would land with something like that. Again, you guys had noted teams that could trade up. The Chiefs have picked 29 and 30. They could package that to go get somebody. The Packers have picked 22 and 28. They could package that to go get somebody because the Packers last, lost Devontae Adams and the Chiefs lost Tyree Kill. And I know people, I've seen multiple places where people saying Jamison Williams was born to be a Chief. Like it's like, oh, how are yeah. you replace, replace Tyree Kill? It's like Jamo. So maybe the Chiefs go get Jamo, but I'm not so sure Chris Olave wouldn't slide right into Devontae Adams and the, the Packers yeah. go get Olave. I do think there's potential for movement here when you have two elite quarterbacks who just lost their number one receivers. And both those teams have multiple first round picks in the twenties. Like Nathan, it's, it's crazy. It's such a weird little thing, but you got to go get your guy. And if you're waiting, if either of those teams are waiting for Olave or Jamison Williams to just get to them, I don't know that they're going to have much luck with waiting on those guys.
2: Well, like, like we've talked so much about it's did did some team see something in one of those three after the top two? Did somebody see something in one of those three where they think everybody else is wrong about this guy? He actually should be number one. He's number one on our board. So when we see the opening, we can't we can't not go get him. I You know, that often gets talked about in terms of quarterbacks, but I think it, it works at any position. And that's maybe how I would see somebody. Like, I think you're right about like somebody like the Packers. That seems almost more likely to me than Chiefs since they're a little bit farther down. The Packers have that number 22 pick. If they were packaging, it'd be easier for them to maybe make a jump up into that, you know, 13, 14 range.
1: What do we do with this? It's Ohio State starting wide re- 2020 wide receivers are three of the top four wide receivers taken off the board in 2022.
2: Like. It's wild, dude. Like. Well, I mean, that team made the national championship game, so I, I, I guess understand. they had some pretty good receivers. You're <laughs> right, but, like,
1: one of, the, one of them just, like, didn't get used. <laughs> like, I like think they can legitimately have three top 20 picks in one draft, and, like, one of them just didn't get used.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the Jamison Williams injury clearly factors in. I still, you know, can't completely get past the fact of, like, all right, well, they picked two and the other one left, and so – I mean, you're like disagreeing with Ryan Day and Brian Hartline if you take Jamison Williams ahead of Chris Olave, which doesn't – I mean, of course, right? I mean, it's a different world, yeah. I get it. But I think with the injury to Jamison Williams, let's that's, that's mark this down. I just think, especially if we think they're all going to go maybe a slightly higher than we think, and if you're taking a receiver in the top 15, man, you need some certainty on top of the electricity so if we all agree that Wilson and London in some order are the top two, who's the third receiver drafted? Let's mark it down. Steven, who's your pick?
1: Olave.
2: Nathan, who do you say? Yeah, I'll I'll say Olave, but I'm I'm not saying it with conviction. Yeah.
1: I'll say this though. If Jamison Williams doesn't get hurt, I'd say him. And it wouldn't even I don't even think I'd think twice about it.
0: I still, I think somebody might fall in love with the speed and go get it. So Mm -hmm. I will say that Jamison Williams goes ahead of Chris Olave. I wouldn't do that, but I think the NFL might do that. So I I'd be happy to have Jamison Williams on my team, but I just, for certainty,
2: I would take Olave.
0: I think it might be just
2: likely. I think there are some NFL teams that would do that. I think there's some NFL teams that would fall in love with Chris Olave's route precision and and all those other things that are very professional about him already. So I, I could see either way.
1: Yeah, but you can't teach that type of speed that Jamison Williams has. And we didn't get to see Jameson drop a 40 at the
0: combine. He might have gone four two. No. If he goes four two eight, it might be like, oh, yeah. do you think he'll be second? You know. So I Same. mean, it's I, I'll be curious how much the Chiefs are willing to do. Cause they have other needs. They need some edge rushers. It's weird. I mean, like for as good as the Chiefs are, they're kind of down to we have Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, and we'll yeah, figure that out the can't rest. Be it. And so I they can, need yeah. a little more there. So they can't go too crazy with some of this stuff, but I'll, I, that will be Nathan to your point that you said, we often see it with quarterbacks. I will be curious how much jumping there might be for the receiver you want in this draft. And these Ohio state guys are going to be right in the middle of it. Okay. Now it gets harder. This is not going to be quite as fun. It's going to be a little more all over the board, I think let's do Nicholas Petit Frere next. He, uh, the, I'll do go back to the mock draft consensus. By the way, before we leave Olave, Olave is number 17 on the mock draft consensus on the big board. Jameson Williams is number 15. So in the mock drafts, he's slightly higher. No one's having Nicholas Petit Frere be picked in the first round. That's just not where we are. Um, he is. The eighth tackle, just for reference points, on the consensus big board, he is the eighth offensive tackle. There's a pretty clear top four who are going to go in the first round, and then he's in the second tier, I would say. So no one thinks he's going in the first round, right? Correct. We, we agree on that. Does anybody think he's going, like, in the top half of the second round? Anyone have him in the f- in the thirties? No. Okay. I'm going to start this at pick 40 for Nicholas Petit Frere. That's probably early, but I'll go a little quick. So get yourselves ready to draft Nicholas Petit Frere. Seattle at 40, Seattle at 41, Colts at 42, Falcons 43, Browns at 44, Ravens 45, Minnesota 46, Washington 47, Bears at 48, Saints at 49, Chiefs at 50, Eagles 51, Steelers 52, Packers 53, Patriots 54, Cardinals 55, Cowboys 56, Bills 57, Falcons 58, Packers 59, Bucks 60, 49ers 61, Chiefs 62, Bengals 63, Broncos 64. No one has Nicholas Petit Frere picked in the second round.
2: None of, none of the three of us, apparently.
0: Well, I don't care what anyone else thinks. We're the geniuses <laughs> here. Pick 65 to start the third round to Jacksonville, 66 Detroit, 67 Giants, 68 Houston, 70 Jackson, no, 69 Jets, 70 Jacksonville, 71 Bears, 70, 71 Bears to Nathan Petit Frere. What, what, uh, 71 to the Bears. Why there, Nathan?
2: So, NPF has been a tough guy to try to pin down on these pre draft grades. As recently as last week, PFF had him on the big board at 86th. The new one they put out today had him 120th. The uh, CBS full draft had him, uh, one of them had him at 59, another one had him at 94 the Walter football draft had him at 48. So he's all over the place. And it's because he has like 10 games of really good film and two games of really bad film. And they're against the teams that had the best edge players, like the NFL edge players. But I think it's possible that that is such a need for so many teams. And if, Anybody was going to overdraft him, it might be my Chicago Bears, and you've got Justin Fields there, I guess, putting in a good word for him. So I I jumped at seventy one. I still wonder though if that might be a little high. That it may be more of a late third round scenario at best for the way he just seems to be trending. I was how everyone's kind of talking about him as as we get closer to the draft. So just real quick, mock draft
0: consensus has him at sixty five. On the big board, which would be the first pick of the third round. You took him at 71. Steven, where'd you have him?
1: 79 to the Chargers. I just ain't going to pick him and play him opposite with Sean Slater. So, I think his future is as a right tackle in the NFL.
0: And I had him at 80 to the Texans, uh, which would be their fifth pick, just sort of accum- accumulating guys. Here's the thing that I tried to think about. So one thing I read about Nicholas petit Frere, I think it was on Pro Football Network. They said they had him as the fifth tackle in this draft. They said he's the best run blocking tackle in this draft, which I think probably fits the way that we thought we watched Nicholas petit Frere. But then they said the question is pass protection. So I thought about him exactly where you had him, Stephen. The thing I'm wondering about is, is a team with a franchise quarterback in place, would they draft Nicholas Petit Frere to start and protect that franchise quarterback right now and have Justin Herbert's health and welfare be on the line as Nicholas Petit Frere figures out how to be an NFL player. Now, if you're a third round pick, you don't have to be a starter. If you're a first or second round pick, boy, they're probably thinking about you that way. Third round, especially on the offensive line, because you can find offensive line starters in the third, fourth, fifth round, maybe, but it doesn't have to be. So I almost like the fact that all of us waited until the third round for NPF. Cause I really like him and he's super smart and a super, I think like want to do it right. Kind of guy. The idea of chucking him in right now and saying, good luck starting in the NFL week one. I'm not super in love with for him. As a guy who, you know, you read stuff, maybe could use a little work on his footwork, all that kind of stuff, right? That I almost like, let's take him in the third round. Let's chill out a little bit, and maybe that'll be better for everybody involved. But would you have any apprehension, Stephen, about having Nicholas petit Frere protect Justin Herbert?
1: To answer your question, it depends on who the franchise quarterback is and where the skill set is. Herbert's not a complete stick in the mud as a runner. He's a good athlete. Um, So because of that, I don't think Nicholas Petit Frere is just going to get blown past every single time. But if you play 75 snaps and he gets beat badly seven times, I think because of what Herbert is as an athlete, I'll take my chances that those seven beats maybe only turns into one or two sacks tops, but then also Eckler exists and they obviously don't just use him straight between the tackles and stuff. But I just think, But what Nicholas Petit is and what his ceiling is might just fit the chargers the best because of what they already have in place.
0: They're ready to win. They're trying to win right now. They do need tackle help. Uh, I actually went through, I went through various lists and, you know, people saying, here's what the NFL team's needs are, Nathan. And I wrote down everybody that had tackle listed. And then I took out all the teams with franchise quarterbacks. Because and not to be like not to be a jerk about it, but he's right here on the edge because there are four tackles that are definitely going to go in the first round. Evan Neal, Ike McWonu, Charles Cross are all maybe top 12 picks. And then Trevor Penning, this northern Iowa guy that people are in love with. Just again, relative athletic score, RAS, as a point of reference. And nobody is saying that Nicholas Petit Frere is better than Trevor Penning at this point. Trevor Penning is a sure first round pick. Trevor Penning's RAS score is 9.96. Nicholas Petit's Freres is 6.51. He did not test great. His measurements are good. I think his wingspan is good, right? That matters for tackles. I think he has a good frame. I was a little surprised he didn't test better, Nathan, with some of his jumps and his ex- explosive uh, drills. But it's just, a, it's that's. I only do that to say that's, a small illustration of what we're talking about here, because then there's this next group of six tackles that are guys who on this consensus mock drafter, between the number 41 pick and the number 75 pick. I do think he's right in there, but I'm not sure where he fits athletically right in there. And if you're going to be a tackle in the NFL, for your thing to be good at one blocking, not so sure about pass blocking, that's not how you want that to go. So I just think we all think he might slide a little bit because I think there's this second tier of tackles and people just might like different other guys a little bit better than him.
2: Yeah, I think we even talked about this going into the combine that if he had been able to test better athletically, that might have kept him in that like first, second round conversation. But when that didn't happen, this just seems like such a more realistic range for him. Now, what I will say is when you've got a guy who has – because it's not like he had 10 good weeks of film. He was like grading out as like one of the best tackles in the country for most of the season and then had the, the bad films, the bad games. So I could see a team looking at that and saying, you know what, if we just correct this and this, and that pushes him back up to that standard that he had against in those other games so, I, but I just this seems like a realistic range. Somewhere in the third round is is pretty comfortable for him.
1: So, quick question, um, recruiting thing. MPF's the highest-rated tackle Ohio State's ever signed. He was a top ten recruit, five-star recruit. Um, is this a good development job?
0: I mean, we've had like two or three topics that have come up on podcast in the last two weeks where part of the discussion is, and that's why Greg Sudrawa is not the offensive line coach here anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's not a failure. And again, I will do. It's on my list. It's on my list. It's on my list. The development of five stars is very interesting. Everybody loves the development of three stars, but what do you do when you get five stars in? This is good. This is good. He's not Chase Young. And like as a recruit, Stephen, he was Chase Young. He was the chase Mm -hmm. young of tackles. He's not leaving as the chase young of tackles. Is it bad? No, it's not bad. It's good. He was a very good college player. Was he incredibly dominant? Is he a sure first round pick? So like, it's fine. It's good. But if you're, is part of your point, there might be more in there. And in three years, we're going to be like, my God, what were people doing? This guy's a pro bowler. Because again, he is super smart. He's going to bust his butt. He's got a really good frame. He's going to study the past moves of every guy he goes against. And it's like, oh, you had a bad game against Aiden Hutchinson and that knocked you into the third round. My God, what were we doing? Aiden Hutchinson's tearing up the league. Everybody has bad games against him. You are really good, Nicholas Petit Frere. That's out there.
1: It's that, but then also he spent his first two years in Columbus trying to figure out how to gain weight. Um, and when we got a chance to talk to him at pro Day, he said, no team is asking him about that. So what if he doesn't have to spend the first two years in the NFL worrying about his weight? He can just worry about the technical skills of being a tackle. Then what happens for a guy who I mean, that's that's a highly rated guy. So I, I'm yeah. not saying that, like, in four years, he's going to be a pro bowler and one of the highest paid tackles. I'm just saying it. it this seems like at offensive line where it is a little bit like slower with the development. This seems like a guy who still has a lot of untapped potential.
0: I just think in the end, it's a little better if he doesn't go 48. Yes. Because if you go 48, then it's like, here we go. And if you go 71, 79 or 80, which is where we have him, there's just a tiny bit less of here we go. And I think just for him to get his feet under him, I just think that might be a little bit better for him. So we are kind of all in the same range here on Nicholas Petit Fair. Again, the 6.51 relative athletic score, which leads us, let's do Jeremy Ruckert. Jeremy Ruckert does not have a relative athletic score because he's sort of been hurt through the process, did not do much at the combine. We have not, It's we thought, Nathan, that, hey, wait till Jeremy Ruckert gets to the combine and gets to show everybody what his deal is. Didn't get to do that, but I don't know that it, affected his draft status all that much, because again, Peter Schrager from the NFL network had something 10 days ago of like, Hey, five guys who I'm hearing about. And Ruckert was one of them. Like this is a guy he is Nathan. He is very much on people's radars. There's no doubt about that.
2: Yeah. Didn't, didn't get to do combine And then didn't get to do pro day. I mean, the whole point of him not doing the combine at the time was he was saying, well, I'll get to do this stuff at pro day. And then that didn't happen. But you're right that he's a guy and I'm – man, the, we haven't even had this discussion, but the, the whole what's real information around the draft and what isn't and what's propaganda and what's uh, strategic leaks by either teams or their player representatives, I don't know. But there is a lot out there on Rucker. There's a lot of smoke around, hey, people need to not forget about this guy. He's a, a slept-on talent. He um, is probably going to outperform or maybe maybe go higher than people are expecting. So
0: on the consensus big board, the first tackle is the number 51 overall player. Does anyone have Jeremy Ruckert going in the top 50 picks?
2: You're saying the first tight end?
0: The 1st I'm sorry. The first tight end is at no. number It's not Rucker, but the first tight end is at number 51. Is it okay if we start at 51? Sure. Okay. And I do mm-hmm. want to just double check this. Um, I had Ohio state up and then I switched, uh, you know, we have a little bit of a reference point. I think Jeff Hireman and Nick Vanette are certainly not perfect comparisons, but they are reference points. Luke Farrell, a reference point. Luke Farrell was the fifth, uh, was the first pick of the fifth round last year, the number 145 overall player. The uh, let's see other tight ends. I think it does go back to Vinette uh, for that. Then Nick Vinette 2016 draft third round number 94 pick Jeff Hireman 2015 draft third round number 92 pick. So I think that's worth putting out there. There's a little, there's some guide rails there just to talk about him. But we will start this at pick number 51. It's the Philadelphia Eagles as we draft Jeremy Ruckert here on Buckeye Talk. 51 Eagles, 52 Steelers, 53 Packers, 54 Patriots, 55 Cardinals, 56 Cowboys, 57 Bills, 58 Falcons, 59 Packers, 60 Bucks, 61 49ers, 62 Chiefs. 63 Bengals, 64 Broncos. We are now into the third round. We did not draft Jeremy Ruckert in the second round. 65 Jags, 66 Lions, 67 Giants, 68 Texans, 69 Jets, 70 Jags, 71 Bears, 72 Seahawks, 73 Colts, 74 Falcons, 75 Broncos, 76 Ravens, 77 Vikings, 78 Browns, 79 Chargers, and I'll take him here. The Browns at 78 is a spot where people, there's some Browns curious fans about Jeremy Ruckert. I said I did not want to give a franchise quarterback to Nicholas Petit Frere. I vowed that I would give a franchise quarterback to Jeremy Ruckert who (laughs) needs someone to throw him the freaking ball. So, The Chargers signed a veteran this offseason, but everyone says they're still on the market for a tight end. Do I want to see Jeremy Ruckert running down the seam with Justin Herbert ripping throws to him? Yes. Yes, I do. I think this is the range for him. I will tell you that Trey McBride is the first tight end on the consensus big board at 51. He's from Colorado State. Almost everybody thinks he'll be the first tight end drafted. Greg Dulcich of UCLA is at 77. Ruckert is at 81 on the consensus mock draft uh, big board. So I take him here at 79. Nathan, where did you have Jeremy Rucker?
2: I did not know that's where he was on the consensus, but I have him at 81 to his hometown Giants.
0: Making it happen. Sending him home. I thought about it too. And what'd you have him, Stephen?
1: I thought about putting him at 81. Um, But you know who does like throwing the tight ends? You could probably use one because he's not sure if his buddy's going to play football this year. Tom Brady, Mm. Buccaneers 91. Instead of paying Gronk to come back, why not just go draft a rookie?
0: All right, let's get, can we get? What? (laughs) What?
1: Listen, listen, I was very humble when talking about Garrett Wilson. I got to be hyperbolic about somebody. So why not make it the guy who never got the ball as much as he should have in, in college?
0: So there are 13 tight ends on the consensus mock draft board Projected between picks 51 and 182. Now that's kind of a big range, but it's also like that's 15 tight, 13 tight ends and 130 picks. It's like every 10th pick's a tight end, right? This is a very interesting tight end draft. I said it at the combine. Every tight end in this draft, Nathan, is 6'5, 250, and they can all catch and they can all block. So you have to, I don't know what it is. I really like Charlie Kollar. From Iowa State in this draft. He's a guy that I've been continually mocking to the Browns. I have never mocked Ruckert to the Browns. I don't think in the end that the Browns with no first round pick, and then they have two second round or one second round pick and two third round picks. I just think with the other things they have to do, I really in the end don't think they'll take a tight end in the second or third round. And none of us have Ruckert lasting until the fourth. So I know there are some Browns fans who like that. But do you think Jeremy Ruckert, despite the fact that he didn't get to work out, Nathan, can he stand out in a pack of 13 tight ends that are kind of similar?
2: Well, the one thing that Ruckert has going for him is that he did a full four years. And especially those last three years, I know that there isn't a lot of game reps of him making a lot of catches, but between all of the game reps he does have for doing various other things, all of the reps that they have from in practice of him doing things. Um, I just think that there is a body of work there. There's, I think they're going to – if you're a team and you have to separate between Ruckert who has like that much game experience and that much like kind of proven maturity in the game as opposed to a guy who maybe was a late comer, I think that could push him towards the top of that pack that you're talking about.
0: I think it's very possible that among the pass catching tight ends, Jeremy Ruckert is one of the best blockers. Yeah. Right. That, that there, are, there is sort of a division, Stephen, as people really talk about tight ends now these days. You're kind of more one or the other. And we talked about it that way at Ohio State. Farrell was more the blocker. Ruckert's more the pass catcher. But we also now have, know how far – Record came as a blocker, and I feel like that's serving him right now.
1: Yeah, because the other tight ends that we're talking about in this pass-catching category probably did a lot more pass-catching than blocking during their career because they're probably their team's best weapon, especially this past year. I know Jeremy had some drops this year, but because there was such a drop-off between what he is and what Ohio State's number two tight end was, he almost was doing both jobs a lot of the time which I think adds value, but then also Nathan already said it. If teams really want to know if Jeremy Rucker can catch the ball or not, just like ask Ohio State for its practice film, because I'm pretty sure there's he's got thousands of catches in pra- between spring and fall camp and in-season practices.
0: Yeah, I think, I think he'll go – I think he'll be in the top 100 picks, which is kind of a nice thing. And I do think, you know, in the big mishmash of the best 13 tight ends, I don't think he's going to be the ninth tight end taken. I think he'll be – somewhere between, I don't think he'll be any higher than the third tight end off the board, but I don't know that he'll be any lower than like the fifth tight end off the board. So if that's true, then I think we're right in the right range. As it worked out for me, I had him going one pick ahead of NPF. I have Ruckert at 79 and Petit Frere at 80. Steven, you have Petit Frere at 79, Ruckert 91. Nathan, you have Petit Frere at 71, Ruckert at 81 but we're all in the same zone. We're, ball, we're all going to be on alert, right? Once we, None of us think they're going in the second round, but on day two, once we get to the third round, I think all Ohio State fans, if Ruckert and NPF didn't go in the second round, sit up. Because I don't know how long they're going to last once you get in to that third round. All right, that's three guys down. We've got a couple more to go, three more to go. Maybe these won't take as long. Who knows? We like to talk about the drafts. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. All right, we are going to do Tyreek Smith next as an edge rusher. This is a deep edge rudge class. There are a lot of very good guys up at the top of this group. According to the consensus mock draft board, Tyreek Smith is the 21st edge rusher in this draft. So we just, the latest that we've drafted somebody so far, Stephen had ruckard at 91. Does anyone have Tyreek Smith in the top 100? I do not. No. Okay. So I will start it at a hundred and maybe motor through a little bit. Tyreek Smith next up here on Buckeye talk pick 100 to the Baltimore Ravens. 101 Philadelphia, 102 Miami, 103 Kansas city, 104 to the Rams, 105 49ers, 106 Jacksonville, 107 Houston, 108 Houston, 109 Seattle, 110 Baltimore, 111 Jets, 112 Giants, 113 Washington, 114 Atlanta, 115 and 116 both Denver. 117 Jets, 118 Browns, 119 Ravens, 120 Chiefs, 1 uh, excuse me, 120 Saints, 121 Chiefs and I'm going to take him. I think he is maybe a possibly could be in that mix at 118 in the fourth round for the Browns. What a great story that would be for a Cleveland kid. The Browns need an edge rusher. I have them taking an edge rusher in the third round. There's a guy from Kentucky, Josh Paschal, that I really like for them there. But they, at the moment, if they don't resign Clowney, which it seems like they're going to resign Clowney or get some other veteran edge, you can't draft Tyreek Smith to be a starting edge right now. And that's, that's not where this is, where this is. If you're drafting him to be like your third or fourth edge rusher, I think you're, you're in good shape. And then you can develop him a little bit. But the Chiefs need edge guys. And as we've talked about, they need a lot of help on the edge. And I think a lot of people think the Chiefs are going to take an edge rusher in the first or second round. To me, this is them doubling up and then following up with another edge rusher in the fourth round. I think Tyreek is better than his career indicates, Nathan, whatever that means. I think that the ceiling of Tyreek, is pretty darn good. I think the ceiling of Tyreek is sort of a second, third round talent. We just didn't get to see the ceiling as much during his career. There definitely were times this past year where he was the best defensive player on the field for Ohio State. So fourth round feels right to me. This might be early, but I think he's got earlier than you think talent at the top end in here.
2: This was the person that I have lower that, I felt I might be the most wrong about but the problem is like I'm looking around at a trying to get a consensus of all of the opinions out there and I, like it's tough to find anybody out there that's mocking him higher than like 130 right and I'm taking him even lower than that so it 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 does seem like maybe he is looked at as sort of a situational pass rusher or something like that like a, a guy that be and it, it hasn't necessarily been his fault at, at Ohio State obviously he just ran into kind of some nagging things here and there but I think there's a lot of guys who have a second or third round ceiling and something has to separate them so the best ones go in the second and third rounds and then there's a big chunk of guys who get sprinkled out through the next couple rounds of the draft and he'll he'll probably be just one of those guys
0: so where did you have him Nathan
2: I have him at number 155 overall to the Dallas Cowboys.
0: Oh, he'd like that. So the consensus mock draft has him at 149. So 121 from me is, you know, significantly earlier than that. 155, Steven,
1: where do you have him? I have him at 139 and it's he flashed enough when he was healthy, but then also just like the Larry Johnson effect of sometimes if you just go to Larry Johnson's pass rushing school that might Bump you up in the draft a little bit just because of the not just the the Boses, but then like the next level got down guys where like Tyree Johnson uh, Smith actually belongs. Those guys actually end up having quality careers as well. Um, Like the Jalen Holmes the Tyquan Lewis's guys like that. And then what Jonathan Cooper was able to do as a seventh round pick last year for the Broncos um, that might get Tyree Smith a little bit of a a bump. So, yeah, 139.
2: Yeah, That's 139 to Baltimore, by the way, which loves yes. Ohio State oh, yeah. defensive yes. players and kind of Ohio State players in general here recently.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think that is smart that Coop lasted till the seventh and then had a really good rookie year. Doesn't hurt. Doesn't hurt Tyreek Smith's case to say, hey, well, this guy actually, I think Tyreek Smith and Coop have some similarities. They were both ranked as top 50 national mm-hmm. recruits. Both had good, not spectacular Ohio State careers. I think Tyreek's probably overall had a slightly better overall career than coop maybe flashes i think his flashes were a little higher than coop's and coop proved he can play in the league as a seventh rounder so 121 139 and 155 we're all in the same round there rounds three four five i mean if he goes in the third round that would be great for him that would be to go on day two um would be a great accomplishment the last pick in the third round is 105 so we have him Nathan and I have him in the fourth, and then no. Stephen nope. and I have him in the fourth, and then Nathan one fifty five is in the fifth. So two fourth rounders and a fifth rounder for Tyreek Smith, right here, which moves us to Thayer Munford. Thayer Munford uh, is going to go as a guard, right? I mean, it's one of these things. Mm-hmm. It's whole discussion. is like, Hey, we're moving him inside from tackle. It's going to help his versatility, whatever he was. I think he was a guard anyway. Like he was always a guard. Jack Muhort was a tackle at Ohio state. And then he got drafted in the second round by the Colts and immediately got moved to guard and was a guard. So I just think Thayer Munford in the NFL, like is a guard, which is fine. And yes, he did get to play that this year, which also was fine. Uh, Munford is, let me see here. He is the 13th interior offensive lineman on the consensus big board. So that's centers and guards. So again, interior offensive lineman, not exactly jumping off draft boards unless you're Quentin Nelson. So Thayer Munford, does anybody have Thayer Munford in the top 130? No. No. All right. So we will start our our draft then at pick 131. This is late in the fourth round for Thayer Munford. Here we go. 131 Tennessee, 132 Green Bay, 133 Tampa, 134 San Francisco, 135 Kansas City, 136 Cincinnati, 137 Carolina, 138 Pittsburgh, 139 Baltimore, 140 Green Bay, 141 Baltimore, and I'll take him. I will take Thayer Munford at 141. The Ravens, for some reason, I don't, well, part of it is they sign guys and then let them go as free agents and get comp picks. They've mastered that. The Ravens have five fourth-round picks, so they can do whatever they want. I'm having them take Munford with their fifth, fourth-round pick. I They, I think, have a, they have a hole at guard right now. You know, it's like, hey, he's he's the eighth guy we picked. Are we projecting him to be a starter? No. I think Thayer Munford could start as a rookie. I think it's possible that he's like a fourth or fifth round pick and goes to camp. And they're like, oh, yeah, this guy, he's good at football, Steven. And you find, I, I mean, that's how the league works. You find starting guards in the fourth and fifth round all the time. So I don't know if Thayer Munford has anything spectacular. And I did not find a relative athletic score for him. I don't know if he has anything spectacular, but I think he's good at football. And he was a four-year starter at Ohio State, and he busts his butt. So I think that works. So at some point, it's like, hey, man, we need football players here. I, I don't see him falling any – I think he'll go in the fifth round at the latest. I have him here right at the end of round four. Steven, where'd you have him?
1: I had him at 153 to the Seahawks under like kind of the same concept of he's old. He's played a lot of football and he fits the bill as someone you can just plug on in there. He might not be elite at what he does, but he's going to get the job done. You don't have to worry about him.
0: Yeah. So 153, Nathan, where did you have him?
2: He, this was the one where I, that thing we talked about before, where we always tend to overshoot on the like later round guys. I let that affect my grade, and I pulled him down a little bit. I have a 164 to the Raiders. I think that 145, 155 range also, though. I mean, we're, we're not, by this point, that's not that different. Like, 145 to 165 uh, once four where I'm taking, I'm like, that's not a huge difference at this stage of the draft, really. So I think we're all in a, a pretty comfortable range for him. But I agree with you that he, of guys who are getting drafted at that stage of the draft, he probably has the m- most day one upside of a lot of the people getting drafted around him or year, year one upside, I'm saying. Yeah,
0: just some like, in and thinking about, very good, but not spectacular Ohio State offensive lineman. Jamarco Jones in the 2018 draft was a fifth rounder, the 168 overall pick as a tackle. Isaiah Prince, 2019 draft, sixth round, number 202 overall pick. I think Thayer is better than both of them. I think this is a decent comparison. 2019, Michael Jordan, fourth round pick, 136. I think that's a decent comparison. I think Michael Jordan might be more talented. Michael Jordan played out of position a little bit at Ohio State. I think Thayer Munford in the end, Stephen, might have been like a better football player than Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan at the spring game, by the way. And then Michael Jordan like had a starting job with the Bengals and it kind of didn't work out. But like that range, if Michael Jordan went 136, I feel pretty good about Thayer in the 130s, 140s, 150s, 160s, which is where we all have him.
1: Michael Jordan got drafted that high while playing out of position, being a six-seven center, which is just ridiculous. So Thayer Munford spent his last year playing the position he probably should have been playing from the get-go, but they needed tackles because, you know, Greg Sedrawa, stud's going to stud. Um, so maybe that gets him drafted a little bit higher as well, logically speaking.
2: Or yeah, I, I speaking. think – if you're drafting in that range and you're just looking for offensive line depth, I think the fact that he has extensive experience playing tackle helps him. If if that if you're taking if you're trying to take a flyer on a guy because you think even if you don't think he's going to start, but you're like, we just have to replenish our offensive line room. We need guys who can help us if they have if we need them this year, then he could play left tackle. He could play right probably would be a great left tackle in the NFL, but he could play tackle, he could and he can play probably either guard spot.
0: So Thayer Munford, 141 by me, 153 by Steven, 164 by Nathan. Haskell Garrett is the last guy we'll do. And I am very unsure here. I don't want to run through 90 picks of me saying team's names. So I will just say I did not have him written down and I wrote it down 10 seconds ago. I think Haskell Garrett potentially is going to go much lower than people think. I have him at 225 in the seventh round to the Steelers. Stephen, where do
1: you have them? I have them higher than that, but I understand why you have them so low. I have them at one eighty-eight to the Jaguars. Okay. Um, but I'm also not completely confident in that. Yeah, that no, I, high. I, I said row. one
2: one eighty-four to the Vikings. Okay. Um, and I basically just like tried to find some intel on what teams needed interior defensive line help and then pick the one that has, you know, recently took Wyatt Davis recently put tough Borland on to practice squad has some Ohio state connections in the recent years.
0: Yeah. It didn't work out so great with Wyatt Davis so far. I'm not sure the Vikings are no super jacked to bring in more guys. I mean, Wyatt Davis is a great player. I, I actually don't know why he kind of has a, has had a kind of a weird start um, to his career. So this relative athletic score that I've been citing that 10 is perfect and one is bad. Haskell Garrett's was 3.25, which is pretty low. It doesn't mean that he's not a good football player, but there are some, and that there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven defensive tackles Mm -hmm. projected who are set in the top 70 players on the consensus mock draft. And they're mostly crazy athletes. Huge guys who have incredible quickness and agility. Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt from Georgia. Logan Hall from Houston. Travis Jones from UConn. Perion Winfrey from Oklahoma. DeMarvin Leal from Texas A&M. Phil Mathis from Alabama. Zach Carter from Florida. Neil Farrell Jr. from LSU. If you'll notice something there, one of the things a lot of those guys have in common is they're from the SEC. And the SEC makes great, quick, athletic, huge defensive tackles. And when you start talking about Haskell Garrett, who was a first team All American, who was a leader on this team, who overcome unbelie- overcame unbelievable circumstances and is a tough, hard nosed football player, I just think he, when you start doing athletic comps, Steven, it's just not like on the same stratosphere. And I think even though no one thinks Haskell Garrett should be drafted as high as those guys, I just think he doesn't fit exactly what the NFL wants when it comes to giant athletic defensive tackles. He's just not that big. And the consensus mock draft has him at 151 right now. We didn't pick him any higher than 184. And I just think he might slip through the cracks.
1: I think he's kind of pigeonholed. Like there are some guys who come from a four down front in college, and you could see them in a three, four being not only interior defensive tackle out there just because they were really dominant. I don't know if he fits that also. Yes, he's not a freak athlete, but also this is a pretty quality defensive tackle class. So that might, I mean, he might be the 16th best defensive tackle, which is why you end up low sixth round, early seventh round.
2: That that consensus 151 is interesting to me because when, uh, as I was putting together kind of this looking across the, the various mocks, there's, there's a pretty bad one by the, by an NFL.com writer that had Haskell Garrett 86th still. And this was a pretty recent mock that he did like within the past, within this month, I think. And then the Walter football one um, had him at like 105. So you're still talking about like a third round grade on, on him. But everything that seems more updated and more precise since then, he's 199 on PFF's big board. He doesn't show up on one of the CBS full mocks. And their other guy had him at number 235 one spot behind Master Teague. So he's just a guy that has not, he didn't come out of the combine with any kind of momentum. Or actually, so, he probably did. He had and negative. His, and, his,
1: and his pro day wasn't that impressive. Right.
2: So two years ago, he
0: and Tommy Tokiai combined to be a pretty good pair of yes. defensive tackles for Ohio State. Tommy Tokiai comes out last year, goes in the fourth round, pick 132. When they played next to each other, Haskell Garrett was a first-team All-American and Tommy Togiai was not. But it makes sense to me that Tommy Togiai would be a better NFL draft prospect. So if he went at 132 and the Browns are like shedding defensive tackles, he's still around. I think Tommy, Tommy Togiai barely played last year. I think Tommy Togiai is going to be right in the mix of their defensive tackles for the Browns this year. He's going to play.
1: He but redshirted I, at the NFL level. He,
0: he really did. That's how, I think that's how they viewed it. Yeah. Because I think if he had had another year, if he put up another year, I think maybe he would have been like a third round pick.
1: Yeah. But
0: to me, Togi at one thirty two, okay, Togi has one thirty two. I just don't think Haskell Garrett's better than that, right? Right, Nathan. Like, is that a right. fair? It's not an exact science, but that's a gauge, and I'd take Garrett after that.
2: That's, I think, a very good way to look at it. That again you've just got to find a way to separate yourself in here. And other guys have separated themselves around Haskell Garrett at that position. I think like that NFL teams are going to see things like that relative athletic score. um, And that's not helping him right now.
0: This is not a terrible comparison in my mind. Michael Bennett, 2015 draft, Michael Bennett, tough, hard nosed, great leader, vital part of the national championship team. Sixth round pick 180. And like that, that's where you guys are. Nathan's at 184, Stephen's at 188. I'm way down at 225, but like that, that sounds about right to me.
2: Someone I was actually thinking about was Jay Sean Cornell. He went at 235. He was like the end of the seventh round or deep into the seventh round. Like that could make some sense to me. I, I think Haskell Garrett played through some – we know he did – played through injuries last year. I don't think that helped him. And um, But at the same time, he has been healthy to do things like the Combine and Pro Day, and uh, there wasn't something there that, like, is going to push him up higher. Yeah,
1: I understand he was dealing with some injuries and stuff last year. Um, and also he got shot in the face right before the 2020 season. But I think he was the same player in both years
0: which was a very good big 10 football player. And I I just don't know if it translates athletically in an elite enough way at that position at the next level. So let's do one more guy. And Nathan, you mentioned it. We've been talking relative athletic score. The relative athletic score for master Teague is 9.84. That's higher than any Ohio state guy we talked about. He's fast as the Dickens. He's ripped. He jumps through the roof. And do any of us think he's going to get drafted?
2: I don't think he will, but won't be surprised if he does. How's that?
0: Did you write down a number for this no. exercise for where he will be picked?
2: <laughs> I
1: did not. No. Okay. He's Steven. definitely getting a camp invite, but I'm not going to. Yes. Gonna, yes. I'm, I am not going to go on the record saying he's going to get drafted.
2: So, so a member of Teague's camp reached out to me actually this morning, not knowing we were doing this exercise and said all, all of Master Teague Third's NFL workouts, NFL testing, and NFL interviews have gone very well. He's enjoying the process and teams are pleased with what they see. And they sent me a picture of him working out with the Bengals. So he is getting NFL workouts. I was told the day of their pro day that he was going down to work out with the Titans. He's from Tennessee. So it makes sense that he would probably show up at their local pro day, but he's getting, I think, other interviews. I mean, we saw what he did at pro day. Like there's something there athletically teams are probably going to let him come or want to even want him to come in and work out. So he's getting some of those opportunities. I just don't know if I'm master Teague, I'm going to use a phrase for the second time in two pots, but I'm actually going to mean it this time. A wise man once told me it's getting drafted is easier than getting in the league and staying there. And if you're going to get drafted in the seventh round, what does that really mean? I would if I'm Master Teague, I want a team that sees a specific thing that it thinks I can excel at, and that's why it's signing me to a like you know a preferred free agent deal. Kind of like what Justin Hilliard got last year from the 49ers. I think that's actually the best case scenario for Teague because it's a team that truly believes in you and has a has isn't just taking a flyer on you. It's maybe somebody that actually sees a, a real role that it has in mind for you. Special team.
0: I would just say, could he start on all four special teams?
2: Yes. Probably. I mean, I think he's a guy, I, I, I think he helps an NFL roster just athletically, but I don't know if he helps him as a running back at all. But I think he helps you do other things. I mean, go compare his. I mean, Ohio State kept, I would really like, I should have pulled Parker Fleming aside last week at the coaches' convention and asked him about this. Like, Chris Olave was Ohio State's gunner for four years, and the numbers say that Master Teague is basically as fast as Chris Olave. Except he's like, it's a difference between getting hit by a bicycle and getting hit by a, you know, a whatever. So, like, why wouldn't you, why can't he do something like that in the NFL? Well,
0: and and now when you were like, oh, Master Teague's people reached out to me. I was like, "Uh uh-oh, they've been listening to the podcast. (laughs) Um,
1: I honestly think Master Teague can make a seven-year career out of being a special teams guy.
0: So, listen, so you cover on punts and you cover on kicks. Mm -hmm. On kick return... You're like that second or third level. You're not in the first level of guys up, but it's that second and third level back. You're not returning it, but you're the guys making that second level block. And then on punt return, I think he might be a heck of a punt protector. So, and he's an extreme athlete. And if you want to, now you've got to be able to do a little bit of kind of, so that he's like a, he's Mitch Rossi. He's an offset fullback that you could put in twice a game if you really wanted to. And by the way, he's the fastest guy on your team, and the strongest guy on your team, and has the best vertical leap. And he's like the fifty-second man on your roster. And everybody's like, "What is the deal with this guy?" He's like Spider-Man, but he only plays special teams. And it's like he's just missing the wiggle gene. He's got everything <laughs> else. And by the way, best fricking guy you could ever meet. Yeah. So,
1: it's go get that pension, Master T. Go get it- that pension.
0: He checks like eight or nine of the 10 boxes you need to check. But the box that he doesn't check is what keeps him from being a third round pick.
1: It's almost like he's elite at everything that doesn't require him to have the ball in his hands.
0: Which might mean throw him on special teams and tell him to run down the field at 100 miles an hour and blow up the guy with the ball.
2: Now, what could be interesting is if now that, you know, there's other professional football opportunities. So, will a team think, a team that I was describing before that has this vision for how to use him on special teams or whatever, will they think they have to draft him in the seventh round because you could get a more lucrative offer from, I don't even know what they pay guys in USFL or one of these other leagues. I don't know. Ain't,
0: ain't no lucrative in the USFL right now.
2: No, I but was I don't, think, some I don't think being about a seventh something. round pick is either.
1: Well, it's is more that money going to than- make it? Through a whole season because we've been here with these with these spring yeah. leagues and they keep getting through yeah. like four or five yeah. weeks. And it's like, oh, it's canceled.
0: Mike yeah. Weber's in there. Marcus yeah. Baugh's in there. Johnny, Johnny Dixon's Dixon. in there. I was looking through. I like went to the USFL website because I knew Johnny Dixon was on the New Orleans Breakers. And I wanted to see the box score of how he did. And the box score just lists their last names like it. So you have no idea who if it you is. go to the US as if when you go to the USFL site, if you don't know all the rosters of the USFL, it's like, oh. Johnson for the New Orleans breakers. Oh, I remember that guy. It's like, can you give, you're the USFL. Can you drop a comma first name in your box score for God's sake? So yeah, Master Teague might be the starting running back for the Birmingham Stallions in a year, which is cash that check. Sure. But in the meantime, he'll be in a camp as a seventh rounder or as a free agent. He'll be in a camp and he will be an extreme, you know, I I wanted to be on American Ninja Warrior. Can you get drafted for that? I, that guy with his shirt off, you do the little thing. He's like the—he's like a, a public speaker extraordinaire. You do the little thing, and like you go to his church, and what a great guy he is in the community. And then you put him on the thing, and he takes his shirt off. Oh, my God. And it looks like he's four. And then he just runs down the thing and jumps on the rope swing and is pulling himself up. And it's like American Ninja Warrior superstar Master Teague. But – First, maybe Steven, go chase kicks for four years.
1: Yeah, get that pension, and then we'll see you on ABC in 2028.
0: So it goes back. I mean, again, this RAS score. This install. has got to be out
1: the park. It's Wait, not 0.82. He...
0: It's almost a perfect chance. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it dwarfs Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, kills them. It triples Hats with Garrett. So, I mean, it's one of those things. It's like it just it is what it is. But he is an athlete supreme that just is not going to be an NFL starting player. But, man, he's got some good attributes. All right. Anybody else? There's nobody else? Demario McCall? We don't think he's going to get drafted. Anybody else? No.
2: No. Okay. That seems like a a USFL kind of guy, right? Oh, my God. I'll
0: get a jersey. (laughs) And I'll get one for Landis, too. Um, If Demario (laughs) McCall ever plays for the Philadelphia Stars, Landis is going to quit. We'll cover the stars. Cover the stars. I only write about special teams. I only write about kick returners for the Philadelphia Stars website. All right. So let's run through it quick one more time. You guys can mark it down. You can make your own little picks and see where you're right, where you're wrong compared to us. Garrett Wilson. I have him four. Stephen eight, Nathan 10. Chris Olave. Stephen and I have him 15, Nathan 16. Nicholas Petit Frere, Nathan 71, Stephen 79, me 80. Jeremy Ruckert, me, 79, Nathan, 81, Stephen, 91. Tyreek Smith, me, 121, Stephen, 139, Nathan, 155. Thayer Munford, me, 141, Stephen, 153, Nathan, 164. Haskell Garrett, Nathan, 184, Stephen, 188, me, 225. None of us think Master Teague will get drafted, but maybe he could. Uh, We hope that helps a little bit. We're going to have Nathan, you're working on sort of capsules, on all the Ohio State guys before the draft. That'll be dropping in there eventually on cleveland.com? That is correct. And Steven, you're uh, clearing your head, getting a little rest before baby Baird. So we won't see you the rest of the week.
1: Yeah. 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 yeah so don't look for anything dot cleveland.com for me. I might send out a text about the laundry I did last night mm. and my jug of water mm. and my but grapes. Yeah, mm. I did listen. You are so off. You are clearly the most basic of us. You eat chilies and you know,
0: what is a what is the rough estimate of ounces of water per day that you consume?
1: How much is a gallon in ounces? Like that's typically the goal.
0: Three thousand ounces, I think. I don't know,
2: that's,
1: <laughs> that's way off. But yeah, just a gallon is it, of water. Is day. It I had
0: 64. I
2: think it might be 64. There's 128 had, ounces in a
1: gallon. Oh, half a gallon. I had 64. air fried chicken with like a lot of seasoning on it cauliflower rice in broccoli last night. I love cauliflower rice. That sounds very cauliflower healthy. Cauliflower rice is really good. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to, uh, you know,
0: I had a frozen pizza. Uh, <laughs> there we yeah, go. Yet I'm the most I basic know. of the three of us. <laughs> Steven drinks water. He's basic. I yeah. take on it. Uh, all right. So we will be back. Nathan and I, we have a guest that we'll have on the Thursday pod and we'll do more rapid fire with some stuff. We want to wrap up on the Friday pod. For now, for Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice. and that was Buckeye Talk.